For Father's Day this year, I pulled a, a book off my shelf that I had not read. Uh, Too Much of a Good Thing is the title, but it was the subtitle that caught my attention. Raising Children of Character in an Indulgent Age. You want to hear that again? Raising Children of Character in an Indulgent Age. Dan Kinlan, the author, actually grew up in Wheaton, uh, was a Harvard graduate and professor and is a child psychologist. And uh, Dan did an extensive study of parenting in America 20, almost 20 years ago at the turn of the millennium. Do you remember those, those days? And uh, he came to the conclusion that we are way too lenient with our children, way too indulgent with our kids. And uh, we often blur the line between parent and friend. He saw that again and again in his studies. And we don't provide children the kind of love and limits that they need to really thrive. They, they need that, and he would document they even want that, love and limits. And so he recommended that we work on the limit area and find a few important areas. Maybe it would be in money, uh, alcohol, drugs, sex. There are a few key areas that he says, just find some of these and have, and have definite limits for your kids but offer them in the context of a loving, close relationship that you want to have with them. It's both. Easier said than done, right? I think we all aspire to that, but we know we have a tendency to either love to an extreme that lets anything go, or we put on the limits and become some mean parent for a while, and and so it seems we kind of bounce back and forth, and only our Heavenly Father seems to have it wired where he's balanced and the tension is there and full love, and yet the limits that are appropriate. This is the theme of this letter. Second John is wrapped up in this same tension as this anonymous elder writes to an anonymous lady and her children and offers these thoughts. I believe it's, it's really the Apostle John writing to a church and the, the children, the members of that church. So you have like a spiritual father to a daughter who also has children who've come to faith. And and doing it anonymously in a day when persecution was already revving up in the church of Christ. This was a way he could cloak the identity. But it's a short letter. It's a small letter, less than 300 words in the original language. It all fits on one piece of a papyrus so that it was easily delivered. Small letter, small book, big message. I mean, he's calling us to balance out love and truth and make sure they're, they're constant and consistent in our lives individually as Christians, but also in the church. So I think this is a, a key challenge for us to look at today, the second letter of John. So how do we start? I'll go to the, the body in verses four through 
6 and say, I think this first theme of this first paragraph is love. Although it starts with children walking in the truth in verse 4, he goes on to quickly say, but, but I need to point you to another command, and that is to love one another in verse 5. And not only that, but in verse 6, walk in that love. Just as you're walking in the truth, and I'm glad for that, be sure you're walking in love. This is something we need to take seriously. And it's nothing new to be loving one another. We should have known this right from the beginning, he says. We go all the way back to the book of Leviticus when Israel was told to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus picked up on that in his teaching, attached it to that greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with your whole being and your neighbor as yourself. Even in the New Testament writings, the love one another command is the most common one another command. Uh, there are many others, but love one another is the one that comes up the most, and John, the apostle, uses it the most. So we have this repetition of an old of an old command, let's, let's be sure we understand the importance of loving one another because this is at the heart of God's character. He is love, John says. And out of love, he sent Christ into the world to express that love, to demonstrate that love. He even sends his Holy Spirit whose first fruit is love. And so God's very character throughout Scripture is just, soaked in this idea of love, but as I often do at a wedding, I, I need to remind you, what kind of love are we talking about? Because we can use it for anything in our world that we have even the slightest attachment or enjoyment of, we'll use the word love. What kind of love are all these texts that I've referred to, and especially in this letter, uh, referring to? Well, it's a love that is not so much a feeling, not to rule out feelings, but it's not so much a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice to sacrifice myself and my agenda unconditionally, so it's not deserved necessarily, but I'll sacrifice my agenda for the betterment of another, for what's best for the other. That's a choice I make moment by moment, to sacrifice my agenda to seek what's good for me, lay down that so that I can seek what's good for another person. And I do it whether they deserve it or not. That's the love God has shown us. That's the love that this letter is calling us to. It's hard stuff. It's not easy. But let's start with that. And our whole faith and relationship with God is wrapped up in this concept. When Dan Kinlan did his study at the turn of the millennium for fathers, he said, you know, what I've discovered is there's a deep hunger, not just in boys, but in girls, there's a deep hunger for their father's love. He says, I'm not sure exactly why that's the case. Maybe it's because moms do it much better than us guys do. But our children need to know of our love and they need to see it expressed. And when it's coming from from one who's supportive and encouraging and spending time and 
the occasional appropriate touching and hugging or wrestling that needs to occur, um, that kind of fathering will tip a, a child toward healthy maturity in a way that, that fathers who are more distant and cold and demanding will never be able to do. And so he challenges us into the same character of God, which is to, to give and demonstrate deep, consistent love for our children, just like God does. And we in the church and the Christian faith are called to that kind of loving, love one another. That's the first point. But the second point of this letter comes in the paragraph 7 through 11, and it challenges us to, I believe, the truth. Although not using the word truth, the truth has shown up early in the letter again and again, now it becomes the teaching of Christ. Make sure the teaching of Christ is the truth around which your whole life is established. You see, in the early church, the first century, the church was founded and really nurtured and taught by traveling leaders, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. They would come in and out, and sometimes they brought the truth and what helped the church, and sometimes, quite honestly, they brought what messed the church up, what was false. And so John says to this church in verse 7, there are many deceivers out there. They used to be with us, but they've gone out into the world now, and they're teaching heresy. They're teaching what's wrong. So he says in verse 8, be on your guard. Just because they sound good and look good, be on your guard. Be careful. In verse 9, he says, stay with the truth you've been taught, and don't let anyone talk you into some new or advanced teaching that is a kind of a secret that you need to be aware of. You see, the, the teaching of Christ is not something new and, and fancy and advanced. It's, it's the same old teaching. And we do need to grow and learn, but never at the expense of the core of the good news of Jesus Christ. And these false teachers were messing with that. But he says, not only remain in the truth, but he says in verse 10 and 11, don't let them come into your house, but the house is where the church met. And I believe John was saying, don't let them come into your church. You may say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. How could he be speaking of this love and then all of a sudden get kind of stern about the truth? Well, that's the tension that John's calling us to. How can we do that well? John Stott does a good job of describing that we need to remember that this person coming in is not just deceived. He or she is a deceiver. So that's why we treat it seriously. Not just someone coming with a, a debatable issue, let's talk about this, but someone coming with a false teaching about Jesus, that he, he didn't really come in the flesh. That's core Christian teaching, that God took on human flesh. If the person comes with some new fang-dangled teaching that doesn't have that at its core, denies it, something's wrong. Don't let that person in. And then lastly, that welcome is not just inviting them for a cup of coffee, let's talk about this. It's more of an official welcome. Let them step into the pulpit. Let them take some of the money from the plate. 
We're talking about church supporting this person's ministry. Don't do that. The flock needs to be protected from that kind of a wolf. And so John, after talking about love, turns quickly and says, wait a minute. Love has no limits, but the truth has limits. We've, we've got a fence here that we need to take care of. And so it is, it seems that when we talk about truth, things get a little more stern, a little more firm, but they need to. Most of you know in, in mathematics, there's one right answer. There's one right answer, and there's a multitude, uncountable wrong answers out there. There's one right answer. There's a fence around that. Maybe more descriptive of Christianity is, is more like a corral. I think God's word has given us a fence in which to have quite a bit of freedom and, and movement. You might pick a different part of the corral than I'm comfortable with, but we're all in the same corral, gathered around that same teaching of Christ at the core of the Christian faith. But the moment someone denies, leaves out, or adds to the teaching of Christ, they, they step outside that corral. And we need to be sure that there's a defined difference between the church and our internal debates and a person who's clearly stepped out and is teaching what is against Christ and his, and his word. And so it's that protection of the body through the work of truth and discernment that's so important to John. This is a, this is a hard calling for us, is let's stand in the truth. Let's, while we're loving one another, let's be sure to keep clear in our minds and hearts what truth is all about and how it defines us. Because I think the challenge of this book, if you're with me, is the challenge to keep both going. It's almost like we think the one conflicts with the other. And God does both continuously, consistently, perfectly. And you and I are going to fall short, but we're called to be people who love, love one another, people who also stay in the truth. The Beatles could say, all you need is love. But John the Apostle, not John Lennon, John the Apostle would have jumped in and said, no, you need truth too. It's love and truth. You see, as we're loving, we should do it truthfully. And as we're teaching and defending the truth, we should do it lovingly. Love has no limits, and we should love to the fullest extent. But truth does have limits, and we need to know where those are so that we can define and protect our own life, our families, our, our church, our culture. Where is, where is that truth? And it's in that tension that we often fall short. It's so easy to love to the extreme where we really accept anything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Whatever is truth to you, fine with me. We'll just, we love you. And, and that's pushing too far. It's getting things out of balance. And friends, we can also be so clear in defending the truth that we come off as ugly and judgmental. And we're no longer loving as, as Christ has called us to love. Do you see the, the tension? I feel it. Do you feel it? It's there continuously, and it's a hard call. I think in our day and age, one of the hardest areas, and many of you we know struggle with this, because Deborah and I have too. 
not just theoretically, but in our families, is how we respond to the LGBTQ, etc. community, person, uh, agenda, issue, however you want to call it, it's fleshed out in many of our families. And, and we struggle with how do I respond as a, as a Christian, as a biblical Christian, as one who wants to love and stand in the truth. And it's, it's really hard. I think it's quite easier to just love and accept the whole thing. It's you know, whatever, whatever you want to do is fine with me. It's, it's harder to, to try to hang on to that love and the truth. I also think it's easy to just go, well, I'm for the truth, and I just reject the whole bunch of them and believe God does too. And that, that's just unacceptable. I hope you know that. You see, we, we have to wrestle with somewhere in the middle. It's easy to go to the extremes and make it an easy accept everything or reject everything. But I think the Christian is called to love the person and to still be able to hang on to the truth of what's right and wrong in our behavior. How do we do that? That, that is hard. When the person's in your family, when the person's coming for supper tonight, how do we express that kind of love and still be able to hold this word as authoritative and true. Friends, those are the kind of hard things that John's calling the early church. He's challenging the church now, 2,000 years down the road, to the same kind of tension because that's in God's character. He's got it perfectly. We're always going to fall short. But this is, this is what we're called to, to love one another and walk in the truth, to stay in the truth hold on to the truth at the same time we're loving. So friends, can we do that? I believe we can. It's not easy, but with God's help, we can. As you reflect on this tension and maybe things in your own life, I'd like you to look at verse 12 with me for just a couple minutes of reflection here. What if these words in verse 12 were not just from the Apostle John, but from Jesus himself, from God, who says to you, I have much to write you. I put it in the scriptures, and I could even write some more, but I, but I have much to write you. I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. What I'd like you to to think about, maybe pray about, is, is if Jesus wanted to come and talk with you face-to-face today, what would you want to talk with him about? What would you want to talk with him about? Just think on this. Maybe jot some notes down if you need to. What would you want to talk to Jesus face-to-face about?
then this might be a little risky, but what would you think Jesus would want to talk to you about? What do you think Jesus might want to talk to you about? God, I pray for each one of us that we might be open to that face-to-face -face conversation, not just way out in the distant future and really the hope of the resurrection for those of us whose faith is in Christ, but even in this day and this week, uh, may we have a little more of an intimate exchange that would bring each one of us a, a deep joy and to think that it even brings you deep joy is what excites me this morning. So may we find that complete deep joy in a, in a conversation that's honest and open, even this week, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ.